This is a Thinkers 50 podcast, brought to you in partnership with the Brightline Initiative, bridging the gap between strategy development and implementation. Today I'm talking to John Matone, who's one of the Thinkers shortlisted for the uh, 2017 Thinkers 50 Leadership Award. Congratulations on that, first of all, John. Stuart, thank you so, so much. The I mean, we've been, you've been on our radar, we've been following your work for, for a number, number of years. I think what was interesting about your career is that you were in the corporate world yes. for 15 years, yes. well, after an initial period, then you were in the corporate world, and then changed direction completely. I did. I did. In fact, uh, a lot of people don't know that, you know, after I got out of graduate school many, many years ago, um, I worked in the corporate world for a few years, Conoco in Houston, uh, worked in the oil industry and uh, made a decision to launch my business the first time and did it for 10 years, from age 30 to 40, wrote a couple books. But really, honestly, Stuart, uh, was not all that successful, you know, to be very, very honest. Um, my wife and I, raising four kids, traveling the world, you know, it just, it just didn't make a lot of sense. And, and that prompted me to go back into the corporate world for 15 years, best thing I ever did because I learned so much uh, in the world of business, you know, um, it, it, there's successes and there's setbacks and failures and so on and so forth. Worked in the world of consulting. I ran, my, I ran a consulting firm uh, in, uh, in the mid Midwest of the United States, but was an operating executive for a company called DBM. I had 50 salespeople and I'm asked all the time, how'd you learn how to coach people? I learned how to coach as an operating executive, you know, and, that, and that's helped me build my brand as an executive coach these days. 55 years old, it was about five and a half years ago, I describe it as a calling, literally a pull, that um, and the message was very clear. The message was you need to go back and do what you were put on the earth to do, which is help leaders and future leaders, companies become the best that they can be. And so pulled by it, I told my wife, Gail, I said, Gail, I've got to go back and do this. She didn't really want me to do it. I had to give up a salary, gave up benefits, but I made the decision. And uh, here I am five and a half years later, did not have the vision that I would you know, be where I am today in terms of a brand, but I'm so humbled and honored to have this incredible privilege to work with leaders all over the world and help them become better people and better executives. And what's holding leaders back? Because uh, billions of dollars have been spent on leadership development over the last 50 years, I mean, 100, 100 years. But everywhere you go, there's a shortage of leaders. There is. What's, what's the problem? I think there's two issues, Stuart, and I think it's a great question. You know, despite all these books, I've written a few of the books myself. We have a massive gap in leadership. We don't have a massive gap in intelligence. There's a lot of smart people running around companies all over the world. But when you look at the leadership gap, uh, we do have a massive gap. And I think there's two things. One is, I don't think we have enough executives who have the courage to ask themselves the big questions. Um, I learned a lot uh, having the opportunity to work with the late Steve Jobs back in 2010, a year before his death. And uh, the mantra that he's known for is think different, think big. I don't think we have enough executives who have the courage, Stuart, to ask themselves the questions every single day. Am I truly a role model in my life? Am I truly a role model to my people? What is my legacy? How do I want my life remembered? Those questions tend not to be asked by uh, executives these days. Even the most successful executives 
don't go there. And I think it's important to ask ourselves those big questions. I think the second thing is, we don't have a lot of executives who have the courage or willingness to go inside and come to grips with their inner, I call it the inner core, you know, which is getting in touch with their sense of character and their value systems and their thinking patterns and their emotional makeup. If those things are not strong, mature, and vibrant, there's no way they can execute effectively so that the world looks at them as successful. So in my work as a coach, I, I work as much as I can from the inside out, trying to get executives to understand, uh, embrace their inner core, and learn how to translate what they learn about their inner core and driving greatness in the outer core. That's what the world sees when we, when we pass judgment on people. But I, think the, I think there's two things. One is uh, asking ourselves the bigger questions. Number two, having the courage to look inside. And are executives, when you talk to them, willing to encounter their inner core? I can think of many of them who would run in the opposite direction. They do. They do. And that's why um, you've got to invite them to look inside, utilizing a variety of strategies. One is, you know, especially as a coach, it's important to ask the questions that get them to look inside. But it's also important to use assessments that drill into the depths uh, of their heart and their mind and their soul. And there's a lot of coaches out there, Stuart, who are not using assessments that drive into the essence of the inner core. And so it's important to debrief. It's, you know, the medical analogy I think is appropriate here. Prescription before diagnosis is malpractice. So that's true in medicine, but it's also true in the world of leadership. How in the world can we unlock and unleash greatness in leaders unless we're really diagnostic about what's going on, right? On the inside and the outside. And so, I think it's very, very important to get leaders to understand through 360 assessments and also intercore assessments, this is, this is what's going on. And I think the third thing is that uh, having the chance to work with an executive and get them to come to grips with their core purpose, why, why do you exist, in other words? You know, the, the, back to the big question, you know, what, why am I on this earth? You know, that question. Um, Getting an executive to think about the growth process is bigger than what I want to become. Most, most people wake up every day and they say, what do I want to become? In reality, it's bigger than that. It is as big as co-creating a vision with a leader as to the essence of the personal leader that they must become. I think that's what we've got to do. We want to incite that in leaders because we need to teach leaders that it's not about them. It is about bringing abundance to others, right? And so the question about must automatically brings that leader into the, the world of, boy, you know something? I have a massive accountability to my, my people, my, my family, um, and it is bigger than me. It was that Marshall Goldsmith book, uh, what, got, what, what Got You Here Won't Absolutely. Get You There. And Absolutely. I think there's a sense that the what gets you to the top of organisations, which is usually drive, True. ambition, True. Uh, some deep functional knowledge, yep. is not actually what you need when you're CEO or in, in C-suite. Absolutely. It's multifaceted. It's very, very complex. But I do know one thing. I agree with Marshall on that. We can create our compelling future. It's a decision that we make. And those individuals who make that decision consciously about creating their compelling future, not so much for themselves, 
but for the people around them, make a huge impact. There's a, there's a gentleman by the name of Tiger Tayajarajan, uh, CEO of Genpact in New York City. Genpact used to be a, a GE entity. It spun out many years ago. Jack Walsh handpicked Tiger Tayajarajan a number of years ago. He loved him. He loved his energy, loved his intellect. As we both know, right? Jack Walsh, you talk about passion, right? Incredible passion. So he saw this young tiger, and he was so impressed by, by those two things, and he gave him the opportunity to be CEO of Genpack. Did some work with, uh, with Tiger last year. I sat down with him. I said, Tiger, talk to me about your leadership philosophy. I posed the question. He looks at me, and there's tears ro rolling down his cheeks, and I immediately said, what, did I say something wrong? And he looked at me, he said, John, you said nothing wrong. You said nothing wrong. What you need to understand is that when somebody asks me that question, I get, I get emotional because, you see, I grew up in India. I had nothing in my life, nothing. I will never take for granted this incredible privileged opportunity I have every single day to show up at work and touch the hearts and the minds and the souls of my people and the families that they support. I will never take that for granted. And I think, you know, when you look at it, uh, I get moved. In fact, I, when I tell that story, as I tell it today, right, I have goosebumps because here's a gentleman who really understands what the essence of leadership is. It's about touching hearts, minds, and souls. And you know, from your own experience, there's so many executives who wake up in the morning and what do they think about? They think about themselves and they think about selfish pursuits, right? It, it's about altruism. It's about creating centeredness in others. That, that's the key. Isn't one of the, when I talk to CEOs and other people in the C-suite, the issue I, they commonly tell me about is being isolated, a feeling of isolation. Absolutely. Nobody, nobody can really tell them the truth or feels comfortable telling the truth. Absolutely. They don't want to give bad news to the CEO. True. How do you get over that sense of isolation? Well, you know, here, here's, a, here's a little bit of an issue. <clears throat> Only about 25% of CEOs actually work with a coach. So therein lies a big issue in my mind uh, that it also creates a tremendous opportunity for the, for the great executive coaches out there to, to solve that gap. And when you talk to CEOs, to your point, what a lonely role, what a lonely position. And one of the first things I do when I work with a CEO is I tell them I'm here for you, number one. This is a partnership. You and I are gonna to work together. You can call me anytime. Uh, I know that there are gonna be things that you won't wanna share with anybody else, but my hope is after we build some rapport, you're gonna feel very comfortable talking to me about anything. Now, even though I make that offer, I rarely get phone calls, but it's amazing that once you build rapport, trust, and credibility with a CEO who really values you know, your presence, as, as a coach, how much they're willing to share with you about their innermost thoughts. You know, Steve Jobs in 2010, I, I had four coaching sessions with him. And I honestly believe I would have never had the opportunity to work with him if he wasn't dying. It was the fact that he knew he was dying that made him vulnerable that made him actually become introspective and look inside himself. It's very interesting, isn't it? Mm. You talk about being very lonely. Um, so that's what I would say about that. And you, 
you were telling me that uh, Marshall Goldsmith has, has been a mentor to you. Absolutely. I'm always interested in the difference between mentoring and coaching. Yes. Well, when, when, I look, when I look at mentoring, we're looking at somebody who can provide an expertise and a point of view and a perspective uh, and, and create what, what, what I call vicarious experiences. So through their storytelling and messages, they can help you strengthen where you're weak. Uh, and, and a mentor, some of the greatest mentors in the world are the best storytellers because they, they ignite the inner core through their storytelling and they create the belief in that person. Boy, you know something through that story that you just shared with me, I believe that I can also do that. Uh, Marshall's been very helpful to me uh, when I first reached out to him a number of years ago, uh, when I relaunched my business five and a half years ago, in helping me believe in the essence of who I am and the essence of what I can bring to the world. That's what great mentors do. Now, when you look at coaching, coaching's a little bit more structured. You know, when you look at coaching, you're looking at a lot of elements that really mirror the success of organizations. And therein lies, I think, a selling point for coaches who are listening into our podcast. So many coaches call me and they say, John, how do you do this? How have you built your brand in the last five and a half years? I tell them, listen, coaching's not a soft thing. You've got to be able to communicate to an executive and to an organization that you're going to be doing things that are going to, that are going to help the organization become successful, achieve its vision, execute its strategy, create more of a courageous work environment. Elements of coaching enable leaders to do that, and therein lies uh, the ability for the organization to achieve success. So it's much more structured. It's more step-by-step. Mentoring is a little bit more unstructured and a little bit more informal. That's how I would define it. Are there different cultural reactions? I know in, in, in the UK, I know that there's a, a degree of um, skepticism about um, coaching and mentoring. You, you only, you're only coached or, or mentored if you've got some sort of uh, remedial work yeah. needs doing, whereas in America it's much more yeah. acceptable. No, it, it, the stigma's changing. I think, I think we're making progress. The stigma's changing. Um, we, it, it, there, there's always going to be cultural uh, aspects to it. The, the, thing, the thing that's important, I believe, is to let leaders know that as a coach you don't have all the, in fact you have very few of the answers, you know, and I'm very honest about that. I know some things. I'm going to answer some questions. But the value of our partnership is going to be more you and I working together because I already know that you know most of the answers. What, what I've got to do is I've got to unlock your inside and that's what I'm going to do. And it may, may be uncomfortable for you to actually do that. The vulnerability decision is the most important decision that a leader can make. The decision to look inside and say, you know something, I realize I'm pretty good, but I do have things to work on. Most executives tend to be a little bit reluctant, and, and there are some cultural differences there to go inside. But the, thir the, you know, the, the third element in my mind is is, is involving the people around them, the people who can make or break the existence of that executive. And, and so I believe that the success of moving an executive to a higher level of achievement, uh, where they're bringing greater abundance to the world is a function of them recognizing that being vulnerable is the most courageous decision that they can make. 
I suppose habitually, um, successful leaders work on their strengths or play to their strengths. Absolutely. And, yep. and try to ignore their weaknesses. It's, it's true. Uh, and I believe in uh, leveraging the gifts and strengths. Uh, in fact, it's very interesting. When, when we do 360s, Stuart, what we discover is a lot of successful executives tend to underrate themselves consistently as compared to how the world sees them. And a lot of people look at that and they say, well, oh, boy, they're not self-aware. In reality, in reality, the more seasoned the executive is, it's much more that it's not that they're not self-aware, it's that they're not self-accepting, which is the bad cholesterol. You know what I'm saying? It's the bad cholesterol side of, I call it the bad cholesterol side of, of humility. You know, there is a bad cholesterol side to being humble. And if you're not accepting of your gifts and strengths, that's an issue. And I do come across that as a coach. And we've got to correct that because we want executives to be proud of the gifts and strengths that they bring to the world. Embrace their gifts and strengths. And oh, by the way, let's continually polish those gifts and strengths so that we become even better in the future. And what are you working on at the moment? A couple things. One is uh, very humbling to, to have uh, this intelligent leadership process and philosophy that uh, we were able to get accredited with the International Coach Federation. Uh, we are certifying uh, coaches all over the world. What an incredible opportunity to help coaches all over the world, Stuart, become better coaches and better business people. You know, we have master level coaches who are just great coaches who are struggling to make a lot of money, to, to break through in their businesses. And, you know, so we're really busy with that. Uh, I do a number of programs uh, each month, and so we're really excited. I'm very, very busy. So we're building out a whole infrastructure. We're going to have global and regional directors so that we can, we can actually grow this, this philosophy and the certification. The second thing that I'm doing is uh, going to be rolling out an app called the Intelligent Leadership App, which we think is going to be a revolutionary uh, uh, product that's going to be a free app that leaders and future leaders uh, all over the world can download and experience uh, my coaching free of charge so that they can actually navigate through an executive coaching assignment and hit the various steps of looking inside, creating their core purpose, accessing tools and resources so that they can break through and become the best that they can be. So we're going to be launching that late October. Really excited about that. So that's keeping me very, very busy and our team very busy. Intelligent leadership. It's not, it's not much to uh, hope for, is it? <laughs> okay. No, I think we, we can do it. We, we can do it. Uh, you know, it's funny. I wrote a book called Success Yourself back in 96. And the book sold nothing. I mean, literally it failed. Uh, and the funniest story is, you know, I never gave up, though. I took that book and I put it on the bookshelf and I threw out the other books and, you know, went back into the corporate world. And I wrote a book called Intelligent Leadership in 2013, became a bestseller. Literally, if you look at the concepts in the book that was written in 1996, Success Yourself, and you look at the concepts that I wrote about in 2013, a lot of the same concepts, just with more experience and stories. So it's fascinating, you know, to our listeners, you know, if you've got a good idea uh, and, and, it, and it hits your heart and your soul, don't ever give up. You know, and, and that's been the lesson for me. I, I, you know, I always look back on it. It was, it was a very sad thing that my book never sold. 
But it's very interesting that that book and that whole concept in 1996 became a whole new direction, philosophy, uh, a way of moving leadership in the world in a positive direction. So I feel really humbled about that. Well, let's hope that the future is intelligent. John Matone, thank you very much. Thank you so much, Stuart. This is a Thinkers 50 podcast, brought to you in partnership with the Brightline Initiative, bridging the gap between strategy development and implementation.